This episode of The Winding Stairs is made possible by freemasonryart.com. Do you remember where you were on the morning of September 11, 2001? Do you remember how witnessing the attacks on the Twin Towers of New York City made you feel? Today, I speak with a brother whose life changed that morning, and we'll learn how that change is helping us change today. You're listening to The Winding Stairs, episode 33. You have arrived at The Winding Stairs, a program dedicated to Masonic education and the art of self-improvement. I am your host, Juan Sepulveda, and I thank you for taking the time to join me on this journey up stairs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Winding Stairs. On today's episode, I have a conversation with a brother whose life changed the morning of September 11. The things that he witnessed made him change his life and do things that today are helping other people. Now I want to take a moment first to thank all the brothers that are listening who are members of the armed forces. I am truly appreciative of all the sacrifices you've made and what you do for this great country. And I hope that as you continue, those of you who are still in the service, as you continue to serve our country, may the great architect of the universe protect and guide every step you take. He guards you and allows you to safely execute your mission. Today we're speaking with Brother Robert Lewis. Brother Robert is the author of The Pact, as well as Love Me When I'm Gone. Two very different books, but both inspired from his life experiences and knowledge. We had a very nice conversation where we got to know more a little bit about Brother Robert, and I think that you will enjoy this episode of The Winding Stairs because there are many, many, many valuable lessons that he has derived out of his service, as well as his journey as a man and mason so stick around till the end i think there's a lot of great power packed into this episode and i hope you find it edifying so without further delay here is brother robert lewis on the winding stairs we are privileged to have with us brother robert patrick lewis he's a former green beret one of the united states Army Special Forces. And during his time in service, Robert was deployed to Iraq, Africa, and Afghanistan, and many other locations. In 2012, he published the book titled Love Me When I'm Gone, which is described as a true story of life, love, and loss. Robert's new book is The Path. It's his first venture into the world of fiction, and it's inspired by his life experiences as well as the knowledge he's acquired through his life. Robert, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to The Winding Stairs. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. Thank you. We've been talking about this for, for a while. I'm glad that finally we get a chance to sit down and, and have a conversation. I'm glad we get it. We can finally get it worked out. So I wanted to touch on uh, several topics. I've been following your work for, for several years now. Um, I'm very proud of the accomplishments you've had, the success you've had with your books. Uh, but to start from from the beginning of the journey that I 
that I know of you. Could you tell us a little bit more about when did you became interested in the military? Yeah, you know, it's it's just been a part of my life uh, as long as I can remember. I come from a long line of military men, so uh, as far back as we can trace, uh, all the men in my family have been military, and you know, my stepsister, uh, and so now you know the females are also getting in the military. So it's just it's just been something that's always been in my family. Um, I was actually the first guy in my family that wasn't going to go in. Uh, I got in some trouble when I was a kid. If you read Love Me When I'm Gone, it talks a little bit about my mom died and I kind of went out the deep end. I got in some trouble and I winded up in, uh, in, in military school when I was a kid and it wasn't really a great experience. So uh, when it came time, you know, my dad was the Merchant Marine Academy and, you know, I had other, other family members who had gone to the service academies. So to do that, when you get to your senior year of high school, you got to have a senator basically recommend you if you want to go to like the Naval Academy or West Point or something like that. And so my dad and I sat down and, and he went, you're not going to go to the military, are you? And I went, no. <laughs> no. And so I didn't. I was the first guy to go to civilian college. Uh, and I was having a good old time playing lacrosse in a fraternity, all that good stuff. 9-11 happened my sophomore year. And uh, so that's when I said, okay, I guess – I guess that's my sign, and uh, so I went and I signed up as soon as I could. Wow, that's amazing. I've, I've heard several stories of, of men that that was the catalyst that actually made them make that decision. They had thought about it or had some influence in the past that were that was moving them in that direction, but that was that moment where they, they took the responsibility uh, to do something about it. That's, that's admirable. Yeah, well, and it's very interesting to see uh, the diversity within the Army and especially Special Forces after September 11th. Uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of critics of the military and of the war will say, you know, we're only sending the poor to war and, you know, only the edu uneducated that have no other options join the military. But I went through the, the Q course, which is the training portion of Special Forces, with, I mean, a guy that had his master's degree in microbiology, lawyers. Uh, a guy that had owned a brokerage, uh, so a stockbroker that was in the Twin Towers. He was down in Miami for work on 9-11. All of his friends and everybody that he worked with died. And so, same thing, the next week he joined uh, the military and went into Special Forces. And you, there's a really good kind of makeup of a lot of people that had that same, you know, they were doing whatever they were doing. You know, maybe they were athletically inclined, but very patriotic people that, that was, like you said, the catalyst where they just said, no, that, that's, no, I'm not going to let that stand. Wow. And you mentioned that you, you were involved in, in sports. Uh, was that like that all your life? You always were involved in, in sports? Yeah. You know, I just, I, I was a, a very athletic kid. I, I came from a family where I was just encouraged. They really liked teamwork. And, you know, it's not like they ever tried to push me to be a professional athlete or anything, but they wanted me, like everything else, sports, food, education, reading, uh, try everything and then mm -hmm. see if there was something that really stuck. And so, I mean, my entire life, when I was younger, I was a swimmer. I was a state-level swimmer. I played lacrosse. I played football. I played baseball. I ran track. I just, I just had a lot of energy to get out, and I was just, I don't know, I really enjoyed teamwork. I really enjoyed that kind of environment, and so I had a lot of fun. And how about competitiveness? Was that part of you and the family? Yeah, well, you know, my family, yeah, they were pretty competitive, but they were very distinct about making sure it was all about fun. 
Uh, and that's the thing in Texas, you know, playing football in Texas, even as a kid, there definitely becomes a point where it stops becoming fun. And you can see people that are trying to get into college for playing football and people that want to go professional and all that. And I don't know, my parents were always really good about just making sure that I was doing it for the right reasons and having a good time. That's, that's very good because a lot of people, they might not give themselves the opportunity to enjoy the things that they see themselves doing. And it just becomes a chore for, uh, you know, a, a chore for the rest of their life is this constant thing they're dragging. And it's not something they're really embracing and, and enjoying. Yeah, and especially a game, especially something like sports, you really got to enjoy it. And, you know, I had that conversation with my girlfriend's daughter uh, yesterday when I was taking her to school, actually. Uh, we were talking about work. I was on my way to work. And, you know, she was saying, I don't like work. That, that, that doesn't sound like fun. I don't ever want to work. And. I said, no, you know, the whole point, you go to school, you do very good, and then you find a job that you love. And so you, it's not really work. If you're going to an office and doing something you love every day for the rest of your life, that's awesome, especially if you can get paid a lot of money for it. That's right. That's funny. I was talking to my to my to one of my kids this morning about that, about working hard and why people have to work. Yeah. And it's good, you know, that, that – Explain to a kid. It is, yes, because they want to play. And, yeah. But when you make that distinction that work, be, work can become the play for the adults. Right. That can be that moment. If you still enjoy, you still derive the same kind of benefits from, from it, it can lead to very good results. I think as long as you do it right. You know, that's the thing. And that's why I, I really credit my parents for making sure I expanded my horizons and I tried everything out there. Because if you don't try it at all, you really don't know what you really like. And I really feel sorry for people that are miserable in their jobs and just hate what they're doing because, I mean, that's like torture, you know? Yeah. So you really, once you find something you like, figure out how to do it, you know? And that way you can spend the rest of your life doing something you enjoy doing. That's right. Do it the best that you can. Yep. Now, I had, um, I, I presume that in order for you to be able to, after joining the military, go down the course of um, being placed uh, or earning a place within the special forces, it takes a very particular set of qualities for, uh, from a man or a woman. Uh, could you give us an idea of what type of qualities helped you to achieve that particular uh, type of goal? Yeah, you know, that's the whole point of selection. Uh, so the first thing you go to, and all special operations have their own version of it. Uh, the SEALs have BUDS, you know, Green Berets, we have what's called selection. And there's essentially, I think BUDS is two weeks long, selection is a month long. Uh, I can't remember how long the Rangers is, the PJs have their own thing. But it's essentially a month where you go and they just test you and make sure you are exactly what they're looking for physically, mentally, psychologically. And the one thing that I've seen the most uh, that really is the one quality to look for, stubbornness. Really, huh. I think being stubborn. Uh, and it's, it's a lot deeper than that. But in all reality, it is this idea that I know whatever I'm going to do is uncomfortable or painful or maybe I just don't like doing it. But I understand that what's at the end of this is, is more important to me than this pain I'm going to go through right now or this uncomfort I'm going to go through right now. And that really is what selection is, no matter how it, you know, no matter which uh, branch you're in, it's just looking for that person that can go, you know, delayed gratification. Okay, mm -hmm. this is, but I really want what's at the end of this, so whatever, bring it on, let's do it. You know, and wow. you just don't give up, you put it in front of the other. 
that's powerful stuff right there. You know, especially as a parent, I'm sure you can identify that different kids have different ways of learning. Yeah. And I had a conversation with a friend the other day talking about the some of the qualities that this describe men who have achieved incredible things in life. Some of those qualities are uh, stubbornness, hard-headedness, hard-headedness, dedication, defiance, uh, nonconformity. And these are a lot of qualities that we try to snuff in children. And if we are wise about it and we can recognize that instead of completely suppressing those qualities, but instead capitalizing upon them, we can give that child an opportunity to become something incredible in the future. I think that would be, that, that would change a lot of people. Yeah, it really is a shame uh, because the way that our, our education system is built, it doesn't really foster that. You know, it's not built at finding what one person's uh, talents are and fostering and making sure that we, we, we enhance their, their talents. It's kind of a lowest common denominator, you know, doing these all, you know, standardized testing. And rather than making certain people shine, it kind of brings everybody down a little bit. And uh, unfortunately, on such a massive scale, you, you can't do something like that. You really can't pay individual attention too much unless you get to private school or charter schools or whatever. Uh, but it, it really is. I mean, if you could do that, I think it would, it would make for a much better society. A well-rounded Mason is continuously searching for light. And in that pursuit, he surrounds himself with the symbols that will remind him of the lessons learned. Today, I am proud to share with you my latest work of art, Geometry. This is the latest installment in the Liberal Arts and Science collection that you can see at freemasonryart.com. The artwork titled Geometry contains symbols of that noble art. I invite you to make it a part of your collection and surround yourself with Masonic symbols that will remind you of those timeless lessons. To see this new work, the Liberal Arts and Science Collection, and to make them part of your collection, visit freemasonryart.com. We now return to our conversation with Brother Robert Lewis on The Winding Stairs. Talking to, to men that are still growing, still developing, you know, pretty much this is a journey that it takes our whole life for us to try to achieve that ultimate version of ourselves. What advice would you have for them to, to help them have that drive to become the best version of themselves? You know, I think that's the biggest thing is don't give up, you know, surround yourself with the right people. Um, accountability is a huge, huge thing. And you know, it's kind of un-PC in our society today to hold people accountable or require accountability. But that's another thing, you know, in special forces to make it through and to really be good. You have to, selection is all based on just you. You know, you're the army of one going through and they throw you out in the middle of the woods and you got to walk, you know, 100 miles with 100 pounds on your back. And you're accountable to yourself, right? You really do some, some gut checking and say, do I really want to do this? If I do this, I have to hit these objectives, and you have to hold yourself accountable. Then you get to a team, which is the functional unit of special forces, and you're accountable to the other guys on your team. You know, it's just like sports. It's just like teamwork where if I don't do my job, the other guys on the team could very well die. You know, I was a mm -hmm. medic. So if as a medic, I don't have the right medicine, 
or I don't know the right dosages or I don't know the right treatment, somebody on my team could very well die. And so they have to hold me accountable to make sure that I'm up on my stuff, that I know what I'm doing, that I'm paying attention. And that is the thing my, my dad used to always say, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life, but do the best job you possibly can. Right? So it doesn't matter if you're digging ditches or doing quantum mechanics or doing brain surgery. Whatever it is that you are doing, do the best job you possibly can because you're going to be judged by that. And it doesn't matter how small it is. And again, if you really want to judge somebody's character, look at the minutiae. Look at the little things they do and see how they approach those. You know, Because people that pay a lot of attention and do very good things, they're going to do that throughout all of their life. And it's just something that only comes through accountability from others and from yourself. That's that's very good advice. That's very good advice. And it, it's it's one of those things that touches upon another of the, the subjects that I wanted to talk about, and it's brotherhood. How important it is that component of brotherhood in, in special forces uh, in order for you to be able to achieve your missions and you know bring everybody back home in the process. It's, it's probably one of the most important functions, and that's the way, that's the reason it's, a team is built a little bit differently from the rest of the Army. The rest of the military, traditionally, you know, you stay in a certain place for about two years, and then you move around. You move around constantly. The whole idea is that if I'm a private in one unit, and I get promoted to sergeant, and I'm in charge of people now, they don't want me to ever have to send my friends on a suicide mission, right? So as a leader... At some point, you have to make a very tough call and send people on missions that, you know, are very, very dangerous. And it's just not a good idea from the Army's perspective, from a leadership perspective, to have to put somebody in the, in the position to make that decision when it's their friend. So they move them around a lot so you don't spend a whole lot of time in one unit. But in Special Forces, it's the exact opposite. They want a team to stay together as long as possible. They want you to get to the point, I mean, we eat, we, we breathe, we work out together, we drink together, we play together, we train together and everything because we need to get to the point of operational effectiveness where I know what every other member on my team is thinking. Hmm. I know in the back of my mind if somebody gets hit, that guy's allergic to penicillin. That guy, you know, has this allergy or this guy is this and this guy's allergic to morphine or we need to know that. I need to know if there's ten of us going into a building that has, you know, fifty rooms, a big warehouse, I need to know exactly what these guys are going to do on the 10th room in we've been going at this for 45 minutes i need to know that and so that cohesion that brotherhood that ability for us to function as one organic living breathing unit is imperative it's extremely important and that's why a lot of special forces guys that's why they have so much background in sports because teamwork is the i mean it, it's the thing that fosters that it's what really brings that idea and definition of, of brotherhood together and allows us to operate on that level that's that's wonderful i mean i i really like the the as you're telling me this i am drawing these parallels with the other aspects of our life the things that that we do uh in, in particular we we both have an affinity for for business and for marketing and we might feel that we are solid in one knowledge or that we are comfortable with one particular aspect of our business but if we alienate ourselves and we don't actually have that unity that brotherhood and that connection with a group of other their people then the results of what we accomplish are are minuscule in contrast with with what we would be able to achieve if we were all working as as an organism as a unit 
Right. It just helps you move further and progress faster. You know, if you have 10 people working on something rather than just one, you're going to make a lot more developments and improvements because you have so many different people that are working on things and they approach things in their own different way and they see it through a different set of eyes. And by having that unity and that brotherhood and being able to help each other out, it just it helps advance us further. How did your Masonic journey begin? You know, I, I've always been a guy that was interested in conspiracy theories and things like that. You know, I just had my entire life, you know, from – from as far back as I can remember, being a little kid, used to check out uh, books from the library on UFOs and conspiracy theories and crazy. I mean, everything in the world you can think of. I mean, even from you know seven or eight years old, I remember my first books being books on ghosts and and UFOs and things like that. And as I got older, it just seemed that every road that I started to go down and read ended somehow in masonry. Ended in you know some things about masons either holding the keys or the secrets. Or, you know, on the other Alex Jones-style conspiracy theories being the culprits behind everything. And so I'd, I'd been interested, and I had, you know, wondered how in the world I ever became a Mason. Uh, a lot of the guys in my family were Masons. You know, my uh, if you go back to my biological family, some of the first Masons on the East Coast in the United States uh, were, were some of my family up in North Carolina. And I had always just kind of thought at some point in my life somebody was going to come up to me and go, Hey, okay, it's time for us to go. Like now is the time you become a Mason, and it never happened, right? And then uh, my grandpa died, and I remember my dad mentioning just some different things about it, and never really putting that much credit because my dad was kind of the the broken link in the chain. My dad wasn't a Mason, but but uh, everybody else was, and I actually called the uh, the Scottish Rite. I called the office of the uh, of the temple in Washington D.C. and I got on the phone with the secretary. And I started going, hey, you know, I'm such and such, and I'm related to such and such. My grandpa was this, my great grandpa was this, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, somebody was supposed to come tell me, but I guess they forgot. And, you know, how do I do this? And, and she went, son, it doesn't matter who you're related to. It doesn't matter who you are or whatever. Find a lodge near you, go and have dinner, talk to the guys. There you go. And I went, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> uh, so uh, the next week, the following Tuesday, I went to a state of meeting at my lodge at LA 42 in Santa Monica, California, and um, the rest is history. Nice. That's very good. I I, I have very few, uh, well, I have one relative that I know that was a Mason, and I always had that 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 separation, and I've mentioned this in, in, in other, other podcasts, where I knew that I wanted to know, but I felt like maybe it's maybe I, I shouldn't ask and it's the right. contrary it's like you actually have to go ask and when i felt any resistance or any okay we'll talk later i felt like oh maybe i shouldn't be asking about this kind of stuff so that's but, you know that's the funny thing about it and about kind of popular culture and all the different things that things that you hear about it is it does it makes you a little kind of apprehensive and nervous and i remember when i turned in my uh you know my stuff my, my first application and when they were doing my background check, I just remember being on pins and needles like, oh, my God, is, am I OK? Like, you know, being in the military, is that a bad thing or, you know, and, you know, there, there's a lot of a lot of things that you second guess. Now being on the other side of it, you look at it and go, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But it's the way that it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, you start thinking, oh, oh, what could it be? Why is it taking so long? Well, because everything takes long. <laughs> That's that's excellent, uh, brother. Do you have any 
lessons that you have come across in masonry that really have made a difference in your military life or even in your business life anything that has served served as a catalyst to to make real changes in those other aspects of your life you know the the idea of dividing your time of dividing your day and ensuring that you actually divide it for the different aspects of your life uh, a guy like me i'm an entrepreneur i'm a workaholic you know that's just the way that i am uh, i always have objectives that i feel that i need to accomplish and i set those objectives pretty high on purpose you know and every time I set one as soon as I as soon as I reach one I set another one I have to set the bar higher and higher and higher because I don't believe in treading water I just do not think it's a good idea to ever sit still right you should always be moving onward and upward and when I heard the lesson on dividing at time and started to learn that it really made a lot of sense and that was one of the things that really made me sit down and go wow okay so I've heard this my entire life but if they're putting this in a degree lecture it's probably pretty important. And so I started to actually do that and divide my time and make sure I pay more attention to refreshment. You know, I used to sleep four or five hours a night and just work nonstop. And that was the first time where I kind of went, okay, I, sh I should get some rest, you know, and make sure I dedicate time to my, my family, you know, that another eight hours of my family. And that's, I tell you, it's made a significant change in my life. Uh, I had two kids. Uh, I was adopted and I lost my, my mom when I was a kid, you know, and so, I had just kind of felt that a man's job is to provide everything that you could and just work, 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 work. And again, when I heard the dividing your time lecture, so it made me realize like it doesn't matter if you have all the money in the world to give your kids, if they don't know you and you're not there to spend time with them, nothing else matters. Uh, and so that really it, it made a stark difference in my life. Uh, and also the beehive. The beehive lecture is a big one for me. I wrote an article in Midnight Freemasons about it. Uh, about specifically how I think it, it um, matters to entrepreneurs and veterans. Uh, so those are probably the most significant ones that, that I have seen that have made a pretty big impact on my life. I, I, I agree with that very much, that these are, uh, even, even though all the steps, all the words, all the move have something to contribute to people, we will find those nuggets that we've been needing to hear that are going to make a, a big difference in, in what we actually do. Yeah. Brother, you, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, I want to speak to one of the things that you mentioned about setting those goals and setting one right after and higher. When you publish your 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 book, Love Me When I'm Gone, in 2012, it felt like a month went by and you were already talking about another book. To me, at least, it felt like that. Like, Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> How did he do that? <laughs> How did he get a book out so fast? Uh, but it explains that, you know, how well, that process seems to be a result of that whole setting goals one after the other higher and higher, right? Yeah, it is. And I just, uh, I'm very methodical in the way that I do things. I take a lot of notes. Uh, and so, you know, one thing that I'm just, I'm, I'm very big on is whenever I have an idea, I write it down. Right, so I use Google Drive. I have a notebook with me, 24 hours a day, uh, and I just jot stuff down. So I have 30 plus books outlined at this point. Where I got an idea, I sit down, I flesh it down, I have the outline. I just don't have time to sit down and, and, and write them all. So I had Love Me When I'm Gone, which is my nonfiction. I have uh, the Pack series that I'm working on now. I have two other 
series of books that are already outlined that are more of the Tom Clancy route. Uh, and I have a, a couple of lines of business books and actually a, a family-oriented uh, series of books that I'm writing. The first one is, is Towards My Son, uh, and it's, it's called, called Words from a Father. It's actually just words on words of advice, and that's just the way that I am is I, I'm very methodical in taking notes and putting stuff out. And again, you know, I finish a book, I, you know, done, dusted, edited. Once it's out, I give myself a day, and then the next day, hey, start on your new project. I'm just nice. That's admirable. I, I really enjoy that. I, I like that very much. And you know, I hope that the, the brothers that listen and, and, and see this, this interview, they, they take something uh, from what you've said. Uh, we're talking about managing your time correctly. We're talking about setting goals. We're talking about having dedication and finding what you really enjoy doing and doing it the best that you can. Brother, you've given us very great value here. Uh, for the brothers that want to learn more about the books, uh, especially the path which you've been promoting uh, regularly recently, uh, where can they go to find out more about it? Uh, so all the books are available on Amazon. Uh, they're all on Audible and iTunes, uh, Barnes and Noble, things like that. Uh, Love me when I'm gone. I narrated myself. The packed book uh, was narrated by Mike Dawson from the Adam Carolla Show. They each have their own website, so there's lovemewhenimgone.com, thepackedbook.com. Uh, I also have my own website, robertplewis.com, that kind of ties everything together uh -huh. uh, because I've got different things going on and just – I love websites, <laughs> so I've got a bunch of different websites, and that one has links to everything all kind of tied together. So robertplewis.com is my, my big one. A special thanks to Brother Robert Lewis for taking the time to join us on our show and sharing such inspirational words with us. I wanted to take a moment to thank Billy Mace III and Infinite Third for some of the music that you've heard on this program and previous episodes. If you enjoyed it, I invite you to visit infinitethird.com. Now, a very special congratulations to Brother Robert Johnson and his wife, Corey. Congratulations on welcoming to the world a baby girl. Yesterday on September 29th, they welcome a, a beautiful baby girl to the world and we're very excited for you. I know this is going to be the beginning of many beautiful memories and, and we look forward to meeting her in person one day soon. God bless you guys. Uh, we're very happy for you. I also want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this program. I invite you to go to freemasonryart.com so that you can see the collection of liberal arts and sciences art that I have created. I would love to hear your opinion about them. Tell me which one's your favorite. That's also where you will find the show notes to this show. Uh, you will find those at freemasonryart.com. If you want to stay in touch with me, you will find all the links to our social media networks through there. So make sure to go to freemasonryart.com. And until the next time, May your steps be firm and your path illuminated as we continue our journey up the winding stairs.